morning. First scripture is from Jeremiah 6, verses 13 through 18. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets, prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore hear, O nations, observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. In this season of Easter on the church calendar, we hear another story of Jesus' resurrection. I want you to notice how he offers peace in this passage. It comes from John chapter 20, starting with verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. One week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
We join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, like a fresh breath from heaven. Settle in upon our hearts and our minds this morning. Open us up to your workings in our lives. Speak to us the word that you would have us hear. Send us out on your mission, Lord. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. There's a very significant detail right at the beginning of this story in the Gospel of John. The disciples were in the upper room behind a locked door. Now, at the end of the day, at your place of work or at your house, we usually say, it's time to lock up, right? You probably do that at work, you probably do that at home. I even have to lock up here at church. The sound booth, that has a lock. The office has a different lock. My office has another lock. There's a little key to close and lock the front doors. There's a magnetic lock out on the other set of doors. I can even control through the app on my phone. I set the alarm, and I walk out through these doors here at church, and then I go to my house, and in the evenings there, we lock up again. There's a lock at the top of the door. There's a lock at the bottom of the same door. There's a lock on the garage door on both sides, and then there's another lock to come from the garage into the kitchen. There's a lock on the back door. There's locks on all the windows. At the end of the evening, I like to go to the front and look out in the driveway and push that little button on my keys, right? My car flashes, and then Brookie's car makes this very satisfying beep, beep when it's locked. Then I lock up my computer, and right before I go to sleep, I plug in my phone, and I make sure it's locked too. It either needs a password or even my fingerprint in the morning to open back up. There are locks all over the place. That got me to thinking. Why, why do we go through that ritual at the end of the day? Are we locking ourselves in? Or are we locking the world out? At the beginning of our story this morning, Jesus' disciples, crushed and defeated after his death, they go back to the upper room, the same place where they shared that Passover meal and the first communion with Jesus. And they did what? They locked the doors. The Bible says they locked the doors out of fear. It's totally understandable, isn't it? If Jesus has just died a horrific death at the hands of the authorities, then his followers must be thinking, that they were coming to get them next. They lock the doors out of fear. You know, in my life, I've done some of the dumbest things when I'm motivated by fear. And I noticed this week that it seems like we live 
in a culture of fear. I like to watch ABC in the mornings, particularly for the local forecast when the local news is on. But I've noticed when the hour changes and the national news starts to come on, they call it Good Morning America. But every morning, there's a one scary headline. A catastrophic car crash, or a kidnapping, or a toddler lost in the woods, a missing person, a shooting, or a murder. And I was thinking, it must be somebody's job. You know, some low-level producer has to comb through the news the night before and figure out one scary headline. And there's one spot in the morning they put that scary headline every single morning. And when Clark is sitting there eating his Cheerios next to me, I always have to remember to switch off before we get to that spot. But they always tease it first, too. Right before they go to commercial, they say, Why did this young person die and did it have to happen? Could this happen in your hometown? And then they go to ads about gum disease and cancer, right? Sometimes I wonder if this culture of fear that I've noticed that we seem to be steeped in is being manufactured for us. I noticed an interesting thing on social media this week. Two of my friends posted about the same news story at the same time so that they were one right after the other in my newsfeed. But here's the thing. One friend is liberal and the other is conservative. They posted about the exact same happening in the world from two different news sites. So I was curious. I clicked both those articles and I read them both incomplete. And both were full of fearful language. Both demonized the other side. This will ruin the future was the conclusion of both articles. One from a conservative perspective and the other from a liberal. So what can we do? Living in this culture of fear. Sometimes I think we just have to step back and take a breath. A good, deep breath. And I find it really interesting that Jesus walked into that locked room to offer peace to his disciples, and then breathed on them. It says he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Breathing is something we often take for granted, right? We do it all day long and all night long too, until, until your allergies kick up, or until you get a bad head cold, or until you have some medical condition where you feel like you can't get a full breath. If you've ever been in a hospital bed on oxygen, you know that you shouldn't take your breathing for granted. But I wonder, how often do we take the Holy Spirit for granted? How often is God working in your life or in mine in some way that we have not taken the time to notice? Jesus walks into that locked upper room 
And the first thing he does is not rehash what the disciples have screwed up over the last couple of days. But he walks in and announces peace. Most certainly, he would have used the Hebrew greeting, shalom. Now, you might think of peace as the absence of conflict, but the Hebrew concept of shalom is much more than that. The Hebrew word for peace means wholeness, contentment, safety, and security. Shalom means a healing of our brokenness. Can you remember the last time that you felt at peace? Like truly, deeply at peace? You know when you feel shalom, that it's deeper than the absence of conflict. Do you know anybody who walks around with the peace of Christ in them? With a deep sense of inner peace? I love to be around those people. They just exude Christ's peace. They can face anything, not be phased by it, not get upset, not get ruffled. Jesus walks into the disciples on a day when they were at their lowest. He enters the room and says, my peace I give to you. He gives them the gift of eternal life, reminding them of his last words before he left, that he had gone to prepare a place for them in his Father's house, an eternal life that they could be assured of in the future, that death had been conquered, but an eternal life that starts right now, a peace that is offered to us in the present in the Board of Ordained Ministry, when we examine candidates who are going to be ministers someday, they have to answer a question about eternal life. And there's a popular phrase that most of them come in and say to us, that eternal life is already and not yet. Already and not yet. I'm just telling you that if you're ever up before the board, that's, that's the right answer to that question, Okay. If you come in and you just drop that little sentence, we say, oh, okay, it's perfect. That's the right answer. Eternal life is not just a future in heaven, but it's God's peace for us here and now. It's already present with us and not yet fulfilled. Jesus says that he gives the Holy Spirit to his disciples. The Greek word for that is paraclete. And that translates as the one who walks beside you, a companion on the road. The Holy Spirit is God by our side, reminding us that no matter where we go, no matter what trouble we face, we have a source of God's peace by our side at all times. It's hard to remember that, though, isn't it? Especially when times are tough. When you're waiting for the doctor to come out and give you some news. 
when you're worried about a loved one who's serving overseas, when you sit down with your checkbook and the numbers just aren't going to balance out, when you're raising a teenager, at, at any point of raising that teenager, right? It's hard to feel a sense of peace. So often we don't understand what God is up to. We don't understand how the negative things in our life could have any meaning, how they could result in anything good. It's only with time and with prayer and with the gift of the Holy Spirit that we realize God might be working for good, even in the midst of terrible or confusing events. That's not to say that everything that happens in the world is a result of God's will, but God can and God does work good out of everything in our lives when we're open to him. It's a reminder that even our deepest pain can be redeemed by God, that the cross is not the end of the story, but it's followed by Jesus' resurrection. We have to be careful saying that, though, right? The Old Testament warning from Jeremiah is that there are those who run around and cry, peace, peace, where there is no peace. I mentioned in prayer time that the Pegger family uh, lost their father this week. I can only imagine uh, having the father about my age gone. I can only imagine the things that Kim and the kids will probably hear this week. People who come over with good intentions but say the dumbest things. Like, it's all for the best, you'll see. Or everything will be okay. That is not a situation where everything will be okay. We can't cry, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Why do we do that? Why do we think there's peace where there is no peace? Why do we say, if my neighborhood's safe, that's good enough? Do I need to care about kids in the neighborhoods where it's not safe? I've been reading a book this week by an African-American woman who was the first in her family to go off to college. She did really well in high school and found herself in a whole new world at Princeton University. The thing that struck her the most from the first weeks at school was that no one locked their dorm rooms. They parked their bicycles next to the bike racks, but no one locked them up. She could walk home from the library at night back to her dorm room all by herself and not be afraid. All these things were not possible in the rough neighborhood where she had grown up. And I wondered, is peace only for those who are privileged enough to have it? Only for those for, everything, for whom everything has gone right? Only for those who've, who've never messed up, who have no need to be forgiven of anything? 
who've enjoyed wealth and status and privilege? Or is this peace available to the rest of us? The disciples who had all abandoned Jesus in the days before are huddled in a locked upper room. And he walks in and declares to them, my peace is with you. The real peace of Christ. The true thing. I wonder how often have we accepted what the world offers to us as peace. I was watching a documentary this week about the Secret Service. Did you know it's their job originally to go out and find counterfeiters? Before they ever protected the president, they were a part of the Treasury Department. The first thing that every Secret Service person has to do is learn all of the marks that are on a real bill. They study the bill. They, they feel the paper that the, the bills are printed on. Did you know that uh, money's not printed on regular paper, but on something called rag paper? It's a combination of cotton and linen. Did you know that it's illegal to sell that kind of paper in the exact combination that money is made out of? Those pens that they use at the store, at the cash register, they're looking for the presence of cellulose, showing that you've faked the kind of paper that you're using. There's a magnetic strip embedded in these bills. Now we have color-changing ink. If you twist the bill in the light, it'll turn from purple to green. All of the new Secret Service members have to learn what a real bill looks like and feels like. And they say once you've done that, anytime you, you pick up a piece of counterfeit money or you glance at it, you just know that something's not right. The real peace of Christ, when it fills us, is unlike anything else. We don't want a temporary or fake peace that the world might offer. We want God's presence in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives. The Holy Spirit breathed into us. Jesus offers that peace as a gift and as a promise to his followers. He walks into those who had screwed up, who had abandoned him, who had fallen away. He immediately offers them peace and gives them a new mission. Sends them out to offer forgiveness to the world. And the peace that passes all understanding fills their hearts and their minds and they leave with that promise. And you know the first thing they have to do? is unlock that door so they can step out into the world. The purposes of God can never be fulfilled if the church stays behind a locked set of doors. The purposes of God in our lives can never be fulfilled 
if we operate with a mentality of fear. But only when we receive the gift that God offers, the peace of Christ in our hearts and our minds, can we step out on the mission that he has given to us. Thanks be to God for this gift of peace. May we receive it and carry it with us now and always. Amen. I invite you to find the faith we sing, the smaller songbook.